Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Excellent to be here today, as always. It's a great day to take your dog for a walk. Nice and mild here in Seattle, as usual. Not to jinx us, but it's true. We are born to be mild. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) For reals. (laughs) Yeah, especially as I'm from Massachusetts, so I think actually temperamentally, not just the weather. Right. Yeah, this West Coast sort of... Doesn't but, doesn't kind of have an, a certain kind of edge that East Coast, Northeast anyway, has. Yeah. <clears throat> did you watch the Super Bowl? I did not, but, uh, you know, I'm not a big football guy, but, yep. you know, I heard all about it, of course, and uh, saw some of the clips on the uh, mm-hmm. TV, you know, commercials and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got the gist of it. Yeah, it was a good game. I'm from Massachusetts. So you're, of course, a, a Patriots I fan, am. so, yeah. Got to be a little disappointing. Well, you can't win them all. That's right. <laughs> I mean, they've won like five, I think, in recent times. So it was surprising to even be there again. It was like, really? But it was a great game. I mean, if, as far as just uh, wanting a great competitive match, it was a great game. And it was uh, Philadelphia's first Super Bowl victory ever. And so really happy for them. That's really pretty exciting. So. Great game. I never watched the Puppy Bowl. I think like it's on at the same time as the Super Bowl, so I'm not. I think that's kind of yeah. more for people who are like. I think it's meant to like sync up with halftime, oh. uh, so you can tune over or turn over and catch the Puppy right. Bowl. But of course, the halftime show is like right. kind of overshadowing the the football game at this point when it yeah. comes to the Super Bowl. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I never catch it. So. Oh well. Got to TiVo that stuff. <laughs> TiVo. <laughs> TiVo the puppy bowl. Is TiVo even around still? Uh, I think so, yeah. Hmm. I haven't heard that in a while. That was all the rage. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. I said last week that I was going to be talking with the founder of Dig, a new dating app for dog lovers or for people who have dog considerations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next week's show falls on Valentine's Day. So mm-hmm. we actually pushed that back a week because that oh, just makes more you sense, You swiped right? left on that uh, interview for the moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we'll be talking with uh, Lee uh, next week um, about that and then also having um, Dawn Ford back with us. She's one of the owners of Seattle Barkery. Uh, they have a little mobile truck and uh, some um, sort of st- not storefront type places around the city. Um, They have homemade baked goods for dogs, um, but not actually about her business. We're going to be talking about her, uh, their, their old dog haven dog Marvin recently passed away. I think it was about a week ago now. And so um, I like to talk about that part of living with and loving dogs because it is part of life with dogs having to say goodbye and important conversation to have so we'll be talking with um dawn next week and she'll share her sort of end of life story with marvin and i think it's helpful to to just hear those to help people prepare for when it's their turn and also to help through grief um if if you're in a spot where you're missing a dog who you've you know, lost recently or even years ago. Sometimes people feel grief for a long time. That's very normal. So anyway, we have that to look forward to next week. Uh, This week, I have some dog stories, dogs in the news, a couple of uh, personal stories to share, and then we'll be listening to my conversation with Marsha Koenig, who is a professional uh, police dog scent detection trainer. And uh, this is from our archives, one of my sort of favorite shows. I have a lot of them, so that can be misleading to say favorite. We are at like 466 episodes now, so that's a a long list of favorites. But this was back in 2009. So I don't necessarily expect that everybody is going to go back and 
binge listen to all of our episodes, although a lot of you do tell me that you do, and that's awesome. Um, but anyway, I'll be listening to her, um, my conversation with her, because I was, at the time, I was watching television and saw, you know, like you, in the news, they'll be reporting a story, and then they'll show that there's like a dog on the scene, you know? And I was like, well, what is they? what are they doing with the dog? And how is this different from other ways that we work with dogs? And so I got in touch with someone who could very well answer that question. So we'll be listening to that in the second part of today's show. I did want to say, though, Telly, who I talked about last week, our 11-year-old Australian cattle dog who was very, very sick. And uh, last week, actually during the show, I found out that she does not need surgery. She had an infection in her leg. She's doing awesome uh, day by day. Um, she's eating normally now, which is great, and taking her pills. She's got to be on antibiotics for a while because her infection was really bad. Um, taking her pills now in her food, which is huge, because giving her her pills, that dog, she would you'd give like try to hide it in something, and she'd take the treat and mm. like bat it around in her mouth to check to see if there was a pill in it or not. And I was talking with a vet Too tech. Too smart for her own good. I know, really. <laughs> I was talking to a vet a vet tech at Jet City Animal Clinic today because I was there with one of our other dogs, older uh -huh. dog, um, Leia, my little dachshund. Um, and I was talking to her about Telly, and she was like, oh, yeah, my boxer is, um, if she tries to hide, hide a pill in something, you know, soft or wet, and then he won't eat any kibble that that has touched. Wow. Right? He really doesn't want to take his medicine. No. <laughs> man, these, some of these dogs can be tough. Yeah. And like, you know, just like we, one of our things would be like um, just like uh, coating it in butter. Not just coating it, but like putting it in a glob of butter and mm. then just stick it down the throat. And Well, some dogs will just take it, but if you have to kind of like stick it down there the old-fashioned way and then it just kind of slides down. I'm I'm sure you've tried the Greenies pill pockets. Yes. Because uh, those work great for, for us. Unless the dog is like suspicious and will move it around in their mouth to check and see. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, she's taking her food, taking her pills in her food now, which is amazing. Yeah, she's doing good. But I was at the vet with Leia, my little dachshund, who is about to turn 16, sweet 16. Do you remember when she was in a halftime race at the sea, at a Seahawks game? I do, yeah. Like, I don't even, I've got to post that video. It's really funny. She did well, but it, it was like a 50-yard race, which is super long. And so about halfway through, she was like, where are you? And then started to go like kind of <laughs> off to the side. So she got distracted from racing. And, of course, wiener dog racing, a big thing. And we even had the director of uh, a documentary about wiener dog racing on the show. I once. was just looking at that one as I was looking through some of my oldie shows that I should, you know, want to bring back. Wiener Takes All. That's right. Shane McDougall. That was a really, really um, entertaining little documentary about wiener dog races. Yeah. Um, anyway, a documentary, I believe documentary. they called it. Yes. You have a good memory, Eric. <laughs> I, really, though, I think they did call it a documentary. Yeah. That's incredible. That was like in 09, I think. <laughs> it was a while ago, for sure. Jeez, yeah. look at you. Well, um, anyway, we're at the vet. Leia had, uh, she spends most of her time with my mom now in retirement, uh, just east of Seattle. And, but we have her every once in a while, and she, I took her back. So my mom said she's been drinking more water than normal. Okay. So we took her in for some senior blood work, and she also had a new bump on her head just above her eye that was like, had just come up since the last time I saw her, which had just been a couple weeks. And I was like, oh, no, that makes me nervous because she did have a bump before on her, a growth actually on her leg that ended up being cancerous, but it was the good kind, the kind you can just cut out. Well, we poked a needle in it, the vet poked a needle in it, and um, it was all just clear fluid, which is good, just a cyst. And she had four lumps, actually, and they all had clear fluid, so it's just a cyst. So there wasn't even a need to send a cytology out, which is great. So the clear fluid, good news. Learn that. I mean, that's intuitive, but she was like, sometimes if mm -hmm. the fluid's like 
gunky or whatever, you know, then it's questionable. But if it's totally clear, it's just a cyst. So psyched about that. Got her her anesthesia-free dental today, which she has to have done now every four to six weeks because uh, she's older and dachshunds, I guess, are notorious for having that. It just, like, she'll have a dental and then really within, like, four weeks her breast starts to stink again and it's not good for them to have that bacteria in their mouth because that's what stinks. When you say they have a, a dental, you mean, like, a, it's a cleaning for them? Teeth, uh, yeah. So it's a it's a teeth cleaning, but where they don't have to go under anesthesia. Okay. Anesthesia-free dental. And it's a really, really great option I mean, especially for a dog like her who will will allow it to happen. The woman is amazing, too. If you're in the Seattle area, her name is Shauna, and she's at Jet City Animal Clinic once every other week. Um, and I, she probably go, travels around to other vet clinics, too, but really great. But otherwise, it would be putting her under anesthesia, like, frequently, which is hard on them, right? So we try to avoid that. So we've been at the vet a lot. Old dogs. Happens, right? Yeah. Just glad that those bumps are just fluid-filled cysts and nothing scary because I was nervous. It's, it's tough. All, some of our we've got two young ones ish still, but uh, the, the other three, one of them is with my mom mostly, Leia. They're getting older now. It's like, oh, part of the deal, Eric. But you know, I would say that senior dogs are very rewarding uh, to live with because oh, they're yeah. a lot more relaxed <laughs> and, yes. and they, you know, they, they're not as crazy and headstrong, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, they're just great to get along with. They're, they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think. I think they can be as headstrong. Okay. Maybe that was the wrong <laughs> maybe word, more but. headstrong, <laughs> but yes, not, they don't have that energy that the young dogs have. Right. And, and and also, unless it's an old dog that you've adopted, which you know if you listen to the show I love and we have done uh, with Old Dog Haven, and we'll be talking about them next week, about Marvin, um, you know, there is something real special about senior dogs. Yeah. Less likely to trash the house. Like <laughs> True. A rock star in a hotel. For sure. For sure. <laughs> when, when you're gone. Totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Good analogy. So speaking of wiener dogs, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Hong Kong, the city of Hong Kong, had their first um, wiener dog event. And it was called a sausage walk. (laughs) And uh, I think there were like 50 dachshunds that showed up. And uh, they were all dressed up in various outfits. And... Apparently, they say Hong Kong is not not a dog-friendly city, but they are good friends for us humans, and so we want to own one. Hmm. So, I don't know. I live in Seattle, which is like the most, one of the most dog-friendly cities in the country, right. so I really can't fathom what it would be like to live in a city that's not dog-friendly. I wonder if it's not dog-friendly based on attitude or just the infrastructure. Well, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking with a client that just reminded me of something not related to Hong Kong. I think I read it as attitude. Mm, Okay. But it could be like there's just not a lot of parks. Yeah. But uh, interesting question. But I was talking with um, a client who has a dog who is uh, reactive, especially when people are afraid of him. And she lives in South Lake Union. So for those of you who don't live in Seattle, and there's a lot of you who listen from all over the country and all over the world, South Lake Union is where Amazon.com is based. Right. And it is like its own little city. Constantly under construction. Oh, my right gosh. Yes. It's the reason why we, I mean, part of the reason why the economy is so great in Seattle, knock on wood, and also the reason why our traffic is so terrible. <laughs> right. Because um, it's like its own little city. And Amazon's headquarters is dog-friendly. It's huge, and it's all dog-friendly. And they there are also a lot of people from other countries who get brought here to work at Amazon mm-hmm. and move into South Lake Union, and they are from cultures that are generally very afraid of dogs. Hmm. The only dogs they've maybe had any, generally have any contact with or exposure to, are mm-hmm. maybe feral dogs. Right. 
So my client was telling me about how she was, you know, just going into the parking garage to go to her car with her dog. And there was a family um, who was just <gasps> like saw her little havanese and they were automatic fear reaction. And then that set him off. It was just like, oh, my gosh, I just it's interesting to think that somebody would have a cultural conditioning or experience based off of where they're from, that they would just have a general fear of dogs. And I understand a lot of people are afraid of dogs because they were maybe bit when they were a kid Mm -hmm. or, you know, weren't around them much or just aren't dog people or whatever. But to have it be like such a cultural thing is interesting. And I'm thinking these poor people are being moved to South Lake Union, which is crawling with dogs. Right. You yeah, know, must that's be something hard, I never thought right? of, that uh, there's cultures out there, I guess, where there's more feral dogs than there are domesticated. I think there's probably not many domesticated dogs mm. where they're from. And they now are living in a place where there are dogs really, truly everywhere. Amazon is a is a poppin' campus <laughs> <laughs> full of people, and it's all dog-friendly. So anyway, interesting, huh? So Hong Kong had their first sausage walk celebrating wiener dogs and uh, i was just at the vet with my little girl today they are funny little dogs funny little hounds there's another story of a dog who was reunited with her family after being gone for 10 years dog's name was abby eric like your abby the beagle great name for a dog it is A decade ago, a dog ran away from her family home in western Pennsylvania. After days, weeks, and then years passed, the family didn't have much hope that they'd ever see her again, assuming that the black lab mix named Abby was dead. But on January 27th, they received the surprise of a lifetime. Abby had been found. So she was identified by her microchip. Why she had not been identified by her microchip for 10 years, nobody knows. But um, so the animal protectors of Allegheny Valley called Abby's listed owner to let her know that they had her dog. She was confused by the call because she let them know that they must be mistaken because her two dogs that she had currently were safe and sound at home. Uh, But then the shelter referred to her missing dog by name and she said she didn't even know what to say she's like oh my goodness and sure enough and so a few days later the dog um who the family previously had mourned as dead reunited with them not only does she remember her name but she even remembers the commands that the family taught her 10 years ago Uh, she turned up on a woman's porch which is about 10 miles away from the family's home and Proceeded to she the woman who found her proceeded to take the dog in, said she was in great condition, so she doesn't think that the dog was living on her own for the past decade. Uh, she was in great shape, happy, good weight, well taken care of. It's very weird, um, but yeah, returned home uh, thanks to the microchip, and they called the the family called their daughter who was n- who is now twenty two and a college student. And she's the, um, when they got the dog, they had sort of got it and gotten it for her, so to speak, when she was young. And um, I guess there's another story of a dog that um, was missing for like a decade as well. A one-year-old dog named Charlie went missing and was eventually reunited with his owners thanks to a microchip. That would be a trip. I mean, that would be really weird. Yeah. Ten years. I mean, even even one year. I think anybody amongst us that has lost a pet, even for a short time, though, would be elated <laughs> to get that pet back, even if ten years had passed. Totally. So, so chipping really does work. Yeah, totally. Did you ever see the movie The Incredible Journey, the original, the old one, with the, the bull terrier, Bodger, and then it's like a there's a cat, a Siamese cat, and then another uh, another dog. What is it? A lab. 
Mm, yeah, I'm familiar with this movie. Old I'm Disney not sure movie. if I've seen the whole thing, but yeah. I know exactly what you're talking they about. They did a remake of it. It's like but... a team of animals that are left behind and they cross the country basically totally. to reunite with their family. Yeah. The end scene is amazing. It's like Home Alone without the burglaries, etc. It's another oldie, huh? Right. Uh, totally not related to dogs. A friend of mine was talking about the movie uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Did you ever see those? I did see that, yes. <laughs> Blast from the past, huh? <laughs> uh, let's see. There's a story about Michigan. That could be the nickname for Seattle as well. Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> Revenge yeah. of the Nerds. <laughs> Uh, so the Kansas City Star reported that uh, two dogs saved an elderly woman's life. They saved her from being from freezing to death. Two Labradoodles are being credited with saving an elderly woman's life. The dogs, Adam and Eva, woke their <laughs> owners at 4.30 a.m. on Sunday, strangely tugged on their owner's sleeve, insisting to be let outside. The owners, Lonnie and Susan Chester, told the Jackson Citizen Patriot that they were at first wary of letting them into the snowy yard. But the dogs persisted, and finally the owners relented, sliding open their door. Adam and Eva bolted out, going straight to a woman lying in the snow. The woman, who was in her late 80s, was wearing nothing but a nightgown. Michigan. She looked up and said, I'm so cold, said Lonnie. And he said that they have no idea how long she had been out there, but she must have been terrified. So those dogs were like, we got to go outside. Cool, huh? And that's like 4 something a.m. and Sunday morning. So it doesn't seem like it was just random. Like they're like, hey, let's go. We want to go outside. And oh, hey, like they ran straight to her Mm -hmm. and. And it doesn't sound like she was yelling or anything, so they just knew. Dogs are the best. <laughs> Dogs can be heroes, that's for sure. They are. They're great. Um, so we're going to be talking in the second half of the show about some scent detection stuff, which I love, as you know, everything nose-related. Uh, there is a, a story about whether drug-detecting dogs... Uh, deserve deference. Maryland High Court considers whether drug-detecting dogs deserve deference. This is from the Daily Record. Maryland's trusted source for business, legal, and government news. Courts should review... Wait. Uh, Let's see. Review the qualifications of drug-sniffing dogs when determining if police have probable cause to search a vehicle based on the canine's whiff, a defense attorney said Thursday in urging Maryland's top court to question why, office, why officers accepted the olfactory findings of a dog that had confused coffee and air. So I was just talking with a client about, um, I, I don't know if this is still true, but it was when I interviewed Kat Albrecht, Years ago, uh, she's the founder of Missing Pet Partnership. They find they use scent detection dogs to find lost pets. So there's lots of ways that dogs are trained to detect specific scents. Drugs, bombs, illegal produce, missing people, missing pets, right? So um, at that time, she said that bloodhounds were the only breed of dog that where their scent findings can be used as evidence in court. And I don't know if that's still the case. It reminds me, you know, kind of check into that because that's kind of an interesting point. But with everything that we use dogs for, um, it seems like if a dog was trained to detect a certain drug or explosive or whatever, and they alert a police officer to finding that scent in in a car or in a, you know, whatever, that that seems like that should be enough evidence for them to search. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. As I as I talk about it, I, I'm sort of like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Should should they? It seems like it. Their their accuracy is pretty good. I mean, 
better than anything else we've been able to create. So why not be like, hey, well, my dog alerted, and so we need to search. I wonder how many times out of 10 that the dog is going to be right. I bet probably pretty high, right? Yeah, I would think. Yeah. So, I mean, we use them to find all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Missing people. We rely on them to detect explosives at the airport or drugs at the airport. So if we're asking them to do that and trusting them enough to do that, it seems like we should trust them um, also to do that. But this is a question from a defense attorney. So I think that's an interesting point, too. Like this attorney is defending somebody who was, I guess, searched, whose vehicle was searched based off of the dog's sense of smell and the defense attorney is saying that we should question this. So, I don't know, interesting. Lots of dog stuff in the news. Dogs are the best. No offense to cat people. I say that just as dogs are, I should say dogs are great. Dogs are awesome. They're not the best. I don't want to alienate anybody. (laughs) (laughs) All right. They just fill different roles. They do. They really do. They're very different, different creatures for sure. Um, There is actually a story that I'm seeing on social media about this uh, stray cat that adopted uh, like a a firehouse, like a bunch of firefighters, and he just stuck around and they took him in and now they're just all loving on him. He's a little orange and white, like kind of tabby cat, really cute. You don't have to be a Dotson to work there. No. (laughs) All right, well, we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll be talking with Marsha Koenig about police dogs and what they're used for and how their training and job description is different from other types of working dogs. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. But all these years that I've been here and nobody got past red. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. That's Old Red by Blake Shelton. That's one of my favorites. Good memory. Yeah. Oh, I love that song. It's a good one. Well, we were just talking about uh, scent hounds. Oh, yeah. We're going to continue. Well, not necessarily scent hounds. We're going to be talking about scent detection. Marsha Koenig has been involved in volunteer search dog work since 1972. She was a founding member of the American Rescue Dog Association and the Texas unit of ARDA. She's a founding member of Northwest Disaster Search Dogs and King County Search Dogs and a past member of Region 10 DMORT Task Force. She's a past chair of National Association for Search and Rescue, Search Dog Committee. Her search experience ranges from disaster search to wilderness, snow, water, and cadaver. She's also trained all her search dogs in trailing and they have made finds in trailing wilderness water cadaver and disaster searches. So uh, she's had law enforcement experience as a Mount Rainier National Park Ranger. And so let's bring Marsha on. Hi, Marsha. Hello. Thanks for calling in and thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. So I would like I said, I was um, you know, watching the footage from from what happened earlier this week and and then I read um, read in an article, which I have in front of me, but I can't find it, um, you know, with what they're doing about seeing that they're, they're bringing dogs on the scene. And there's and then I saw footage of a of an officer walking with a German shepherd. And I thought, you know, what are they actually doing? I'm assuming that they are searching, you know, searching for, you know, trying to find the criminals. But. Just curious as to how they were doing that and what's all involved in that. And so um, Kat Albrecht of Missing Pet Partnership pointed me in your direction, and I found your website, and here we are. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and King County Search Dogs? Okay. Uh, King County Search Dogs is a volunteer group that works for the King County Sheriff's Department. And when there's a missing person, either in the wilderness or in the city, called out to look for them, and also if there are some crime scenes, sometimes they want us to go and see if we can find some traces of blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're all volunteers, and we've got two different types of dogs. One is what we call air scent dogs, and those are the dogs that uh, they work like 
your hunting dogs, where they look for any human scent in the area, and then they'll go in and find it and come back and tell their handler about it and lead the handler back in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the lassie come home thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, we do more, use them more in, in rural and wilderness areas where they're not as likely to be people around. Right. And then we have trailing dogs, and those will follow the uh, person's trail, and you'll need a, usually need a scent article for that. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't have to be a bloodhound. It can be any breed mm-hmm. as long as they're well-trained. Mm-hmm. And everybody's giving off dead skin cells, and on the dead skin cells are bacteria, mm. and that's what causes the scent that the dog's looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, when the police dogs are doing it, they don't necessarily have a scent article, but they're looking for the fear scent that the person gives off. And so they work, they work on something with, with a fear scent, and they go running after the person. And, of course, if they find them, if the person doesn't stop moving, they get, they get to bite and hold them. Mm. Um, in our search and rescue, of course, we can't exactly do that with people and don't want to. Right. So we'll be looking for Alzheimer's. And also, we may be going out a little bit later. Sometimes we get called 24 hours after. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police dogs generally work on trails that are maybe four hours or less old. Mm-hmm. So a couple differences between your dogs with, you know, who are where the handlers are volunteers versus police dogs. One of the big differences is that you're looking for people who aren't likely going to be dangerous when you find them. That's right. And the police dogs, there's definitely that potential. Right, and the dogs and, and police are trained for that. We aren't. Mm-hmm. And by uh, Washington Administrative Code says that we cannot go after people that <coughs> uh, that might have a weapon or something. We don't go after felons or anything. So we would not have been called on this particular search because it's the it's thing for police to do. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the... Um how would the training differ for a dog who is going to be a police dog potentially going after somebody who's dangerous versus a a trailing dog? Uh, it would be very similar. You start out just doing small trails and kind of runaways with the handler doing, the owner doing a runaway, and the dog does it and gets a, the idea that, oh, yeah, I can follow the scent. Uh, with a police dog, they're not going to practice generally on trails any more than let's say, half a day old, because mostly they're chasing somebody. Mm-hmm. And with us, uh, we would be doing older trails. We generally do 24, 48-hour-old trails, mm-hmm. and sometimes even longer than that because we don't always get called out right away. So the basic training is very much the same. But for us, at the end, instead of the dog barking and holding or biting the person if they won't stop, um, we treat our dogs with play or um, or a treat, but mostly it's play, like throwing a ball or something for them that says, because the dogs are in it for what they get out of it, which is they get to find the person and then we get really to play with them. Mm-hmm. And how do you train a dog to go after, I mean, would that be like Schutzen training or is that different? Schutzen training is slightly different in that with Schutzen training, in their trailing, their trail. Okay, you've got two types of scent. One is the scent that comes off of the person's body, the skin cells, or what we call RAFTS, mm-hmm. R-A-F-T-S. The other is vegetative scent. So when you walk on vegetation like grass, you bend it over, and the vegetation cries out and gives out vapors. Mm-hmm. And in Schutzen training, they really want you to follow the vegetative scent. Mm-hmm. Now, the dogs don't always know, so, I mean, you know, the dogs are following what they're following. But in general, that's how it's different. With Schutzen, they want you to follow footstep to footstep. And with ours, uh, if the wind, let's say, is blowing across the path, our dog may be a little bit downwind of the path. But they're still following the person, but they are um, where the little rafts of skin are. Mm-hmm. And then with the actual, you know, holding or biting or something like that, that's something that you would, that's like almost like another kind of a command. It's not something. Uh, they teach that separately and then they put it in. It's, it's, it's how they apprehend people. Mm-hmm. And we don't. Our dog, when our dog finds somebody, my dog, for instance, even though she's on a leash, she sits in front of the person and then I pull out a toy. Right. But the police dogs may be run, a lot of the police dogs in this area are not necessarily run on lead. They're run off lead. And when they find the person, 
they know that if that person stops moving, they'll just bark at them. But mm-hmm. if that person starts moving, they will go and stop them from moving. Hmm. Wow. That must, I can't, um, can't quite wrap my brain around how you train a dog to do that. Although, I guess if I think about it for long enough, I might be able to figure it out. It, you just take it in small steps. You start uh-huh. out. We generally like to start out on gravel or something, so the skin cells will be there. Mm-hmm. And you just walk down the gravel, and the dog sees you going, and you, you take one turn, right or left. Mm-hmm. Maybe hide behind a bush. And then the dog just runs to where they fi- they've seen you last. And when they find you, they learn to put their nose down and follow the scent. And then as time goes on, you make it harder and harder. Mm-hmm. So that for us in, in King County Search Dogs, our, our test is you have two people that walk a trail a mile to a mile and a half long, and then about 24 hours between 18 and 30 hours, but about 24 hours, we go. We start on pavement. And we have to um, have several turns in it, and you have to find the people. And when you find the people, the dog has to pick out the correct person. Mm-hmm. And it can be done. We've even done things where the dogs can pick out the right twin among uh, between identical twins. Wow. Do you find, now I know you said that you use all different types of dogs. Are there breeds of dogs that are, I mean, other than the obvious, you know, bloodhounds and basset hounds and the scent hounds, but are there breeds of dogs that typically do well with scent tracking and breeds of dogs that typically don't do very well? Or Well, the ones that don't do well are things like the sight hounds, um, the ones like the Afghans and things, because they're used to following things with sight, so they're not going to be using their, dog, their nose as much. Mm-hmm. But other breeds can do it. It just depends if you have a reward system. It's more that than anything. It's what does the dog get as a reward, and do they really want to do it? Because some dogs, uh, such as Newfoundland, some of these dogs are couch potatoes. Well, it doesn't matter to them. It's like, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a dog that has some energy level and that you can play with. And it doesn't have to be a bloodhound. Um, my husband did one a number of years ago on, a, unfortunately, another police shooting. They had the person in... Um, locked up so he could do it legally mm-hmm. and he ran a trail because they wanted to see where he might have thrown a weapon mm-hmm. and so andy and his dog a german shepherd ran a four-day-old trail mm-hmm. and they gave him enough information that they were right on and they went looking and they found the weapon that he had thrown wow that must be they good. found a weapon yeah one of the several but um but it, it you know it takes a lot of doing andy ran bloodhounds for 19 years and all, and he he's, he trained all of us to do it. So we, we train the same way the bloodhound handlers work. Mm-hmm. And so the people in our unit, uh, we've had finds with German Shepherds and a, a Rottweiler and a Golden Retriever. Mm-hmm. So it, just, it depends more on the training and how often you do it and how good the handler is. Mm-hmm. And what's in, what's in it for the dogs? <laughs> and what's in it for the dogs? That's exactly yeah. right. And how long ago did you uh, found this organization? Uh, Twelve years ago. Okay. And you are um, affiliated with, or, or how are you affiliated with law enforcement? Do they call uh, on you when they need you? They or? call on us, and that's how we get deployed. We do not self-deploy. Okay. But if they have a drowning that they can't find or something like that, then they will call us to come out, and we will help them as we can. Okay. And um, you teach, um, I think I saw some class. You've, you guys are all over the country teaching yeah, classes. Yeah, Andy and I are married, and we he's retired police and uh, was involved in that, and then I was involved. I've been involved in search and rescue dogs since 1972 uh-huh. and we both enjoy teaching so we've taught classes all over the country mm-hmm. i think i saw you were going to south carolina and, yeah, that's right yeah so um so do you teach classes locally as well we do teach classes locally mm-hmm. and not a lot but some mm-hmm. and then there's the washington state search and rescue conference and we will teach there mm-hmm. or other people from king county search dogs Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we have dog meat, which we've had the last few years, and we'll also teach there. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes our unit has a class or two. Mm-hmm. 
And you said you mentioned that um, you would be deployed like if you to find like a drowning victim. Yes. So how would a dog find a, a, a victim in water? The scent comes through the water and they can locate it. Now, they might not be able to pinpoint it because it's going to be kind of diffused. Yeah. But they can at least give the divers a smaller area to search. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So when it comes through the water, would that be like uh, something that floats to the surface? Yeah, from- volatile fatty acids and pieces of skin, the scent, the rafts that we talk about. Uh-huh. And um, it's just, it's, like I say, it's not that... Um, difficult for the dog, but if you've got a wind on the lake or something, it, there are times when you can't get it perfect, but you can get fairly close. Yeah. Wow. It's So working with scent tracking dogs, I know that I can't really wrap my brain around what a dog's sense of smell is really like. <laughs> and do you have a, uh, what's your take on that? I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what they can detect. Well, Okay, what I know is it's substantially more than a human being's, and in addition, they can isolate certain scents. So whereas to us it might seem like all one mix, to them they can pick out things so that they can do amazing things. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we'll run a trail um, where in front of um, a movie theater, and people will get out, and you'll have hundreds of people that walk in and out and come back the next day, and the dog will be able to go right through it. Mm. It is just amazing. Mm-hmm. But it takes lots and lots of training. Mm-hmm. And we train every single week uh, for the dog's entire life. Mm-hmm. I did a very, very small amount of, the like, very small amount of scent tracking training uh, when I was first learning how to train dogs, and I remember learning that you you even have to train them to to track over different types of surfaces and also That's to right. to change surfaces, like to go to grass from pavement to you know dirt yes, or whatever. It's a different, it seems to be a different scent picture for them. Yeah, and that you have to practice things. Uh, dogs don't generalize as easily as people do. Yeah, so that you have to do each thing specifically, and mm-hmm. then they will learn to generalize on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, I had mentioned on the break that I've I've found in obedience training that scent hounds tend to be a little bit more difficult to train <laughs> for basic commands because they just don't seem terribly interested. But again, if they're food motivated, you can make them interested. If that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's true for my dachshund as well. She's very food motivated and will find food amazingly fast. But... Um, if there's not food involved in the interaction, she's not terribly interested in sitting or laying down or doing right. any of these tricks. So that's why you use food then. Yep. <laughs> she's like, why should I do this? What's the point? Right. And it has to be dogs, much as we think they work for us and all of this and love it, the dogs love us, but they're, again, what's in it for me type of thing. Yeah. And so we find out what's in it for them, and you use that to motivate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's. I use that in um, you know, in just working with behaviors with people living with pet dogs. It's okay. Well, okay, your dog's doing a behavior. I actually had a caller last week who was like, "Well, why does my dog bark at us when we watch TV?" And I was like, "Well, what do you do when she barks at you and howls at you?" And he told me, and I was like, "Well, that's reinforcing the behavior. It's motivating." That's exactly right. Yeah. Do you use clickers in your training? We sure do. Yeah. Depends. I don't use it in trailing. And the tracking and trailing work, just because um, it, it tends to distract them. Mm-hmm. But um, in search and rescue, in fact, I'm the person who introduced the clicker to the search and rescue community. Oh. Um, because I learned Karen Pryor used to live in this area who wrote Don't Shoot the Dog. Mm-hmm. And so she taught us that. So we use it in our some of our cadaver work when we're looking for um, buried bodies and uh crime scenes and all. And by the way, we work with chemicals, which which do that. And so, um, and it works out very nicely. And when you have it buried, when the dog puts its nose right on it, you click and the dog knows, I did the right thing and a treat is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems when in training, um, I don't use clickers for obedience training for pet dogs, but it seems really, really useful for 
working dogs, service dogs, that kind of thing, when you're really trying to task train specific things, it's really right. helpful for the dogs. Oh, I sometimes use it in obedience, too. It depends. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use it all the time, but I, I enjoy using it uh, because the dog knows that uh, when I bring out the clicker that good things are going to happen. Yeah. Very cool. And your website, again, is uh, www.cadaverdogs.com. It's Cadaver Dog. Not Cadaver yet. Dog. Thank you. Yeah. And that's C-A-D-A-V-E-R-D-O-G. Dot com. Dot mm-hmm. com. And you have, you said you have, I think, 25 volunteers? We have about 25 members in King County Search Dogs. Mm-hmm. We take people in in groups. We just take in a new group in and train them. And then when they get their dogs trained, then we'll take another group in. So we, we only take people in every two or three years. Mm-hmm. And so people would... Um, come to a, a class or a session or something with their own dogs that they were interested in using? Yes. And then do you go kind of put the dogs through an initial testing to find yes, out? Yes, we if do. They, mm-hmm. We test see that the dogs like people, mm-hmm. um, that there's a little bit of obedience. It doesn't have to be a lot. Mm-hmm. That the dogs tolerate other dogs. They don't mm-hmm. have to like them, but if you've got a dog that's going to be lunging at other dogs, right. forget it. Um we want to see that the people have some idea of how much time it's going to take. It's very, very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And so we give them in- information about that. And if their significant other isn't involved, that may cause some problems because we spend so much time doing this. Yeah. And it may not. But And just, it, just various things like that. But the dog has to be suitable. And um, they have to, you know, like I say, know what it takes or... We give them an idea of how much time is going to be involved in everything. And if, if they don't have the time for it, you know, if they've got little kids or something, that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Um, come back when the kids are bigger. Yeah. And how long does it take to, to typically train uh, a trailing dog? Okay. A trailing dog would be a couple of years. An air scent dog would be about a year and a half to two years. Okay. Trailing is harder to do because you're looking for the small scent, sense of, uh, the small scent. The air scent dog, uh, you're looking for the strongest scent in an area. Mm-hmm. But um, And it can be done faster once you've done one dog. But when you're starting out, the dog moves faster than you do. The dog learns faster than the handler does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's mostly people training, right? Yes. And how old can a dog, I mean, how I sh- should say, how young can a dog be to start them on training? Well, if you don't expect perfection... Mm-hmm. You can start them out about 10 weeks. As soon as you get the puppy mm-hmm. and living with you, you can start doing small problems. Just, you know, the one thing we ask people is not to expect perfection, and they have a very, very short attention span. So just do it for 5, 10 minutes, mm-hmm. and then move on to something else. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's something that certainly comes naturally to dogs using their noses. And I often teach my clients to even just play find it games around the house as a good, uh, especially rainy day game for for dogs. I know my dogs absolutely love when we play find it. And, I close... and that, that's what we're doing, but on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's really wonderful that, that it's all volunteer-based and the work that you do must be so gratifying and uh, exciting at times. And, you know, I'm sure the dogs just love having something to do and having a job to do and working and and that you use, um, you know, all types of dogs. And what a wonderful kind of partnership for people to do if it's something that's interesting to them and they have the time for it, like you said. Um, well, we really enjoy it, and it is gratifying. Yeah. Um. And so if, uh, do you do you have a, you said I think you take people in every couple years? Yes. So where are you in that time frame now? We just took in a new group, so it's going to be two or three years before we take in more people. Okay. And that information, would you post that on your website once yes, you're starting to look? Yes, we do post look? it on, it's King County, what's the website? I'm trying to think it's King County KCSD at King County Search Dogs. Uh, okay. okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. KCSearchDogs.org. Okay. KC. SearchDogs.org. SearchDogs. Yes. .org. 
And then there are other search dog groups. There's German Shepherd search dogs in um, uh, Pierce County, and they take other breeds, too. And Snohomish County Search and Rescue has a dog group. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitsap County has ABC, Albreed Canine Dogs. So there are a number of groups around. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Marsha. It was wonderful to meet you over the phone and to talk with you and to get some more information about the difference between police dogs and uh, volunteer trailing dogs. Very important difference. And um, I think we'll we'll have more of an understanding once I see the dogs on TV, on scene, what they're actually doing down there. Well, good. Yeah. So thanks so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. All right. Have a great day. Bye. That was Marsha Koenig. You can find her online at cadaverdog.com. Learn more about her work and what they do. Very interesting stuff. Next week, we'll be on the air on Valentine's Day. So we'll be talking with the founder of Dig, a dating app that is for dog lovers, uh, people who have dog considerations. One of the things that was kind of interesting is like, what if somebody has a dog and that dog doesn't get along with other dogs and so they need to find somebody who doesn't have another dog? Because the first thing that I went to was like, oh, like I want to find people with dogs, other people with dogs, right? Brady Bunch style. (laughs) I have three dogs. They have three dogs. Now it's a pack. So that'll be next week's show. We'll also have Dawn Ford on uh, talking about her recent um, having to say goodbye to their dog, Marvin, who is an old dog haven dog, special guy. She'll be sharing her end-of-life experience with him as well. Always an important conversation to have. If you've missed any of our over 450 episodes, find us online at dogradioshow.com. If you are not a fan of us on Facebook, be sure to find us on Facebook, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And, of course, as always, a free podcast on iTunes. Great to be here, as always, today. I will look forward to being with you again next week. been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.